Good morning. 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 Kind of combine, um, or at least added the Blue Ridge uh, sermon audio into the site that Terry has had going for a long time, the Inspiring Word, which is an online site. And our sermon audios are available on there. And this is a report for the month of April um, had a total of 426 people who listened in. Um, we had uh, 10 countries that were reached. It was listened to more in Colorado and California than it was in North Carolina, interestingly, and Texas was number five. Um, the uh, Easter service seems to have been the most popular one so far, and um, looking at the uh, overseas, it was listened to 37 times in the United Kingdom, seven in Singapore, five in Finland, four in Spain, four in Romania, three in Nigeria, two in Canada, one in Brazil, one in France. So people are, you know, who knows what God does with what we put out there? And that's, you know, the very principle of God's Word is that God's Word doesn't return to him void. And we preach the Word and we are faithful of what God says to do. And we trust that God will do his work from there. And so we may never personally see in this lifetime the fruits of the things that happen here. But praise God, he's at work. And I'm thankful for that. Um, let's turn our attention to the psalm for this morning, which is Psalm 81. We'll read that for us if you want to follow along. Sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden, your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you with the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward them, and their faith would last forever, that he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Praise God for the reading of his word. This morning, um, we come together to pray. What do we need to remember? We have some specifics, yes, ma'am. Any update from Ravonda this week? How things? Any update from Ravonda this week? We'll definitely be praying for Opal's neighbor Ravonda, um, who's facing a cancer diagnosis and whatever the prognosis is for treatment for that. We don't know yet. I know. I know. What else? I'm sure we all bring a lot of things in our own hearts, so I'm going to give you a few moments to be able to just bring those things before the Lord, and then I'll lead us in prayer together. Father, the stillness of 
this gathering of coming together in what, uh, in spite of the decor, is your house, God, is uh, soothing. It's medicine for our souls to quiet ourselves before our God, to, for a moment, shut out all of the distractions and the things in the world that vie for our attention and be able to come before you and connect with the truth that you are God and you are not, that you are sovereign over all things, that you have promised that your plans for those who love you are for blessing and to prosper us and give us hope and a future. And Lord, we need those promises. We need, Lord, to connect with those things and to be able to treasure those and keep them close in our hearts. Because, Lord, this life is hard. You know, Father, we are challenged every day. Not only with uh, temptation to um, sins of commission, but so often, Lord, with temptation to despair. Temptation to frustration with what you're doing because we can't see the way ahead. Temptation to be thankless. Temptation to turn elsewhere for uh, comfort or support. To seek solutions somewhere other than the one who is the solution to all of our problems and all of our needs. God, we pray that you would draw our hearts and you today as we worship you. Father, that um, our songs and our words would amount to true worship. That they would please you. God, that they would glorify you. Father, that they would encourage you, encourage us, Lord, to uh, draw nearer you. And Father, that by your grace, perhaps um, some unseen person who we've never met might be drawn to faith in you by the grace of the Holy Spirit as we come together to sing and to preach and to pray. Lord, let all these things be for your glory in Jesus' name. Josh is going to come and lead us in song.
Just love, love, love. 
pages away, 229. Voice from the heaven will read Leviticus 16 for us. 
an offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Maybe a couple of goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Is that the beginning or is that in the middle? And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats. Let's start at the beginning. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron the brother not to come at any time to the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat is upon the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud of the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord, and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord, to make a home over it, that they may be sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. Eric shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals from the fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. And put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat, which is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgression, all of their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their imprisonment. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes back and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar, all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, and close it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of the coming to the holy place, and the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, and all their transgressions, all their sins. 
And he took the woman, headed the goat, and sent it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man he had been ready in. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting, and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out, and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who let the ghost go to Israel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering, and the ghost for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute for you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath that solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourself. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing holy linen garments. And you shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and you shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and you shall make atonement for the priest, and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, the atonement will be made for the people of Israel once in a year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. God bless the reading of his word. As you can see, I have either enough breath to preach or to do that, but uh, both is challenging. Um, so we have a really important passage here. We have kind of a little bit of a turning point or a focal point here in Leviticus because it details God's commandment about the Day of Atonement. Um, and actually, in Hebrew, that word is plural, so it's atonements. And if you look at it, there's kind of multiple atonements because there's an atonement of the priest for his own sins, make himself pure enough to go into the Holy of Holies, to then make atonement on behalf of the whole nation of Israel for all of their sins. Um, so it was a day once a year when the high priest was permitted or required, depending on how you look at it, to go into that Holy of Holies that was would be the dwelling place of God within the tabernacle, that uh, most um, sacred place where you remember the stories of how they would, you know, tie a rope with bells on his ankle so that if God struck him dead, they could bring him out because no one else except the high priest could go into that spot. Draw that near to God. And remember, there's always this kind of imagery here of this division between God and man so that we see how that's taken away in Christ. And when Christ died, the veil of the temple was torn that separated man from the intimate presence of God and forever man and God had an intimate connection that they could not have under the old covenants because of the sinfulness it was only temporarily forgiven by the sacrifices. And so we have this day each year when they would come and they would make um, sacrifice and it's the most holy day on the calendar for Israel. Um, for Jewish people to this day, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, is the most holy day of their calendar. Um, and up to this point in Leviticus, we've seen the record about all the burnt offerings and things and the sin offerings that God has commanded um, for the people's sins. 
And those were designed, they were designated to appease God's wrath and cleanse the people of their sin before the Lord. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, we have records of the three were called pilgrimage festivals. Those were the ones where every able-bodied Jewish male was expected to go up to the temple in Jerusalem to, to worship, and that was Hesach, or Passover, and Shavuot, which was the harvest festival, and Sukkot, which was the festival of tabernacles, or festival of booths, or festival of tents, depending on how your version uh, translates it. And so those were all important festivals that were associated with offerings that able-bodied Jewish males were supposed to come and make on behalf of their families. And it's pretty clear that when we read through Leviticus, all of those were not enough to fully remove sin from the people and make them eligible to be in God's presence. Because you still had that veil, you still had the Holy Holy, you still had the inability of the people to come fully into the presence of God because of their sin and God's holiness. Um, for instance, if a person were confessing and forgot a sin, or maybe failed to confess it on purpose when laying hands on the offering, would it be forgiven? Well, there was a question about that. Because the blood of bulls and goats can only go so far toward appeasing God's justified wrath against sin. Um, it was a temporary reprieve, but it wasn't a permanent pardon from sin. It was a reprieve from punishment, but it couldn't fully change their hearts. It couldn't deal with the underlying problem of sin that we all have, the guilt that we all carry with us. And so over time, that repeated and unconfessed sin of the people sort of built up. And the priests as well, you know, would have failures in performing the rituals and things. And so there was a, a kind of a collective kind of guilt before the Lord. And the very throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, was by association contaminated. And so the Day of Atonement was meant to deal with all of that, with this residual sin, to give a new start for God's people, um, even though it was still only good for a period of time, before the year that he kind of gave them a new start. And most of the rules about the Day of Atonement were kind of similar to those that God gave us with the other offerings, um, except that the blood was also to be sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And that was done as a safeguard so that God wouldn't just immediately strike the priest dead. You know, I've always said that one of our, there's both a good and a bad thing that's happened in modern Christianity. Um, we have gone from a time when people feared God in an unhealthy way that maybe God didn't desire or intend to a kind of familiarity where, um, you know, you've seen the stickers of the t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy, or that kind of thing, you know, in a kind of an assumption that God's just like us. And, you know, Mark Twain famously said, you know, God created man in his own image, and man quickly returned to faith. And it's very much, I think, what we've done in the modern church a lot of times. We've created a God who we don't see as holy. We don't see as so holy and so perfect and ourselves is so simple by comparison that we should turn one fear and come to his presence. That's a real challenge for us because we've been fed that by society, by church for so many years that sometimes we become very casual about drawing in God's presence and we forget that God is perfect and no sin can be in his presence. So they had this safeguard sprinkling the mercy seat was a, a, a was a 
representative kind of thing that would appease the wrath of God against the sins of the failures of the priest so that he might be able to go into the Holy of Holies. The one person who ever could, the high priest, still needed pardon to be able to come into God's presence. Verse 14 says, And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Um, later, Aaron and the other high priests are told to throw some incense in the air and burn incense in front of them as they go in and approach the Ark of the Covenant. You know why that was? It was a smoke screen. That was to prevent them from accidentally seeing the face of God and just being incinerated by the holiness of God. It was a protection for them. It wasn't something that protected God or that somehow God required for his own purpose to be worshipped, but it was a means of protection for them. An acknowledgement, maybe, not necessarily a, a physical like a shield, but an acknowledgement of we are coming into the holy territory. And we need to deal with this in a serious way. And we don't come here without parts that acknowledge our sin and contrite and are truly repentant because if we do, God has every right to fully destroy me right now. Besides the bull, there was a sacrifice on behalf of the priest. Um, there was also two goats that would be brought to sacrifice to deal with the sin of the whole nation of Israel. And verse 7 says, Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So one goat was killed, and its blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, which was an act of propitiation, big preacher word for satisfying God's wrath, you know, of appeasing God. And the other one, the escape goat, and eventually that kind of got, in English, kind of got melded into scapegoat, but the escape goat was sent off into the wilderness to this our point Azazel, and, and there, it's a legitimate geographical point, but it seemed to be the sort of thing where there was this imagery of, it's like, you know, as far away as you can get kind of thing. You know, it used to be that, you know, people talked about, um, you know, traveling to Timbuktu, because that was kind of seen as the furthest point in the world. This trading post that was in, what, Mali today, I think, in Africa, and it was like this far distant place. Um, you know, my mom said that when she was a kid, you know, obviously, you know, conservative families and stuff, they weren't allowed to curse or anything like that. And she said that if you got mad at somebody, she said they would tell them to go to Busick. And Busick is a place up on the mountain, up by Silo, up Highway 80, and it is as remote as it can possibly be. You still practically need an airlift from a helicopter to get in up there. And so that was kind of, you know, it's that idea of as far away as you could possibly and so it wasn't that this was necessarily specifically a holy place, but that it was far, far from the people. And the goat symbolically took the sins of the people far away. It symbolized a full removal of sin. Um, and it was a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. In the scapegoat, the sins were taken far away from the camp. God says that he will remove our sins as far from us as east is from the west. In a lot of ways, the requirement for the people to afflict themselves, they toward the end and make these sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, really points forward 
to the men of the gospel for us to examine ourselves and repent of sin. Yeah. In verse 29 and 30, we read this. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you and cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. And so there's this sense of setting aside the, the time as holy, acknowledging our sins, bringing them before the Lord, confessing them, you know, symbolically laying the sins on the head of the scapegoat and sending it off into the wilderness. Um, and that self-affliction, that um, depriving ourselves of some things is a symbol for repentance. Um, the understanding that God only forgives sin to those who are contrite, those who acknowledge and reject their sinful ways and seek to live better lives. You know, that repentance is a tied up with the gospel and the repentance is, and, and we say, you know, repentance is the fruit, not the root of salvation. It's not that because I repent hard enough and I'm sorry enough for my sin that God decides to save me, but it's because God gave me His Holy Spirit and drew me to Himself that I'm even able to repent, that I would ever have a desire to repent, that I've Learn to hate my sin. Love the Lord. And then it hurts my heart when I've done something wrong. You know? If you have a close relationship with somebody, I'm saying, I'm looking, you know, all of us have family members or, or spouse or loved ones or whatever that we that we care about. And if you've done something that hurts a relationship, that weighs on the gut. And if it's a legitimate relationship, if it's somebody you really love in your life, that weighs on you. And you're not going to be comfortable. And you're not going to be able to be at rest. And you're not going to have peace in your soul until you've gone and admitted your fault and asked for forgiveness and made things right. right? Don't let the sun set on your hand. You know, go and deal with stuff. If you're only going to make your offering, you realize that your brother has something against you, put down your offering and go and make peace first. God makes that a priority. And those things are a reflection of the peace of the need of God. The fact that we need to come before God with repentance and confess our sins and seek God's forgiveness because we care about the relationship. Not because we're seeking the benefit, but because we don't want something to be between me and God. I don't want that awkward feeling. You ever have something happen, words are spoken, or just something happens, sometimes in circumstances, and it just makes a relationship that's always been important to you awkward and uncomfortable and painful. You know, it's a terrible way to live. And God doesn't want us to live like that in relationship with Him. Um, one of the problems I think, though, that we have is that it's easy for us to fall into this notion that repentance is sort of a, okay, once a year or once a week or whatever, we come to church on Sunday morning, we repent, I think, rather than a lifestyle. And what God was trying to lead the people toward, the very purpose of these old covenant rituals was to lead the people toward a lifestyle of continually seeking his presence and desiring intimacy and wanting to deal with anything that put a, a barrier there. Sure. Um, and we can know that repentance is the evidence of God's transformation. How he's transformed us through relationship with him through Christ and it's the evidence that we are being redeemed. Uh, one of the other problems we have is this, we fail to understand that Jesus completely fulfilled all the demands of God's law for those who are truly in Christ. 
And so we follow this trap where we start to focus on the quality of our repentance versus the quality of God's mercy. And you know what happens when you do that? When you start putting the emphasis on your ability to be sorry enough, the enemy is ready to convince me that I'm not fully forgiven in Christ. Because what? Maybe I have some unrepentance. Maybe I have some forgotten transgression against God. Maybe something I've done unconsciously where I exhibited lust or greed or something, and I'm convinced that, you know, I think the Holy Spirit reveals more and more and more sin to me. And when I was a young Christian, I thought, okay, there's going to be a point where y'all just dealt with it, you know, we just kind of move on. Okay, sin's all taken care of. You know, it's a hole with no bottom, isn't it? Because the Holy Spirit reveals more and more. And the things you thought were the big stuff, you know, lust and greed and rage and those kind of those were the things you thought were the big stuff, and you come to find out that the Holy Spirit leads you to deal with the root, with the pride, with the rebellion against God that's at the root of all those kind of things. And it's deep, and it's a, a lifelong process of repenting and confessing and finding forgiveness for these things. But what happens is when I put the, the emphasis on my ability to repent well enough and not on the amazing grace of God and Jesus Christ, then the enemy convinces me that God's going to get you. And that's why, I think exactly why the author of Hebrews talks about um, this high priestly role that Jesus held. And he says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in time of need. Remember, Jesus was sacrificed for the sins of God's people. He was taken outside the city walls. Remember how the scapegoat was sent out of the camp and far away? We see that reflected in Jesus being taken outside the city to a hill, Golgotha, to be uh, crucified. Um, and when he suffered and he died there, he not only appeased God's wrath, he not only gave us a reprieve from punishment, but he took away sin from God's people. Fully and forever, past and present and future sin. And so if I'm truly in Christ, by God-given faith, and his finished work on the cross, and that's the great if, I always say, the question we all have to ask ourselves, if I'm found to be in him, then I can know, you can know, that beyond any shadow of a doubt, we have full forgiveness of every sin. One day when he returns, we will be able to stand before him, our heads held high. We will no longer be ashamed. We'll be set free from that when we leave this world. We'll be able to rejoice to see his coming. We will know that he has completed everything that God has demanded of us. And if you don't, if you're listening this morning out there somewhere and you don't know beyond all doubt that God has given you faith and trust in Jesus as your only possible rescue from God's wrath, please, call on Him today. Because Jesus meets every requirement of the law. Every promise of grace is completed in Him forever. And not only is God's wrath satisfied, but sin itself is removed from us. As far as east is from west, so we can live a holy life. It glorifies our redeemer. Let's pray again. Father God, thank you for your incredible grace to us. 
thank you, God, that when we were still enemies, you sought us, you desired us. You desired to make us a people set apart, a remnant to praise you, glorify your name. Lord, I can find no explanation for why you possibly not extending your grace to me, other than that you are incredibly good. Lord, thank you that you have chosen to save my soul. Thank you, God, that in the process of giving me your Holy Spirit, you called me to yourself. You called me to repentance. You bring to mind the failures and the acts of sin that I commit. And you help me, Lord, to deal with those. Not just to um, mouth a quick confession, but to you lead me to contemplate and to understand the depth of Christ's sacrifice and the freedom that is mine in Jesus. And you help me, Lord, to be free of the guilt that the enemy would use to draw me away from your presence. Father, um, we know that your desire is for us to experience intimacy with you. Because when we fully uh, draw into your presence, when we fully comprehend how good you really are, that's when we can best glorify you. Lord, grant us that we would understand that. Lord, give us Holy Spirit insights so that we could be able to see the depth of our own failure and the height of grace that's expressed to us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, let us live lives that bear witness for the world that no man might have an excuse. And Lord, that you might through us, um, through the testimony of what you're doing in our lives, maybe that you would draw some people to you to be saved and glorify you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen.
verse is, um, I will learn to trust in him. He shall save me from my sin. So shall I declare him the Lord of all. Alright, so we're you don't remember that? Enough. What's that? We're just going to echo things. So yeah. That works, yeah. <laughs> or just mouth watermelon if you don't know, it's fine. <laughs> I will learn to trust in him. He shall save me.